This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. It's just good to see everyone and see facial expressions. We haven't got to do that in a long time. And so it's a, just a joy to be with you today. I want to point out, I always try to, to point out some, some special things that are um, unique to our story or our body here, our, our body of faith family here. And that's that we have two guests from another continent with us today. Um, Joost and Hannah Stecklenberg are with us today from London, England. And um, in 2017, right after we began meeting here on campus, uh, we actually prayed over and sent Hannah to be an IMB journeyman uh, in Portugal. And then from there, she, Joost did not, you didn't have her travel too far to stay there in London where they both work and serve the Lord there um, just as as citizens that are on mission for Jesus. Hannah does work at her church, but they both are very much involved in life and mission. And so just want to thanks for being with us today. It's always good to see you guys for sure. Family, even from abroad. Um, This morning, we're in this text, Psalm 34, not your traditional Father's Day passage, but we're going to go for it. We think the Lord has brought out some some real richness in this text for us today um, that we get to see. And so we're just going to kind of hop right in. There's going to be a a, a fairly fast pace getting through these three verses, 15, 16, and 17. So we're just going to kind of hop right in here and look at 34 verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, his ears toward their cry. So what do we see going on here, right here in this text? We see the Lord is responding to those that are made righteous. Now, earlier in the week and, and really every week over the past few months or weeks, we've been kind of getting together with a group of guys that have been doing some sermon prep on Tuesday afternoons after our staff meeting. There's a group that has connected with Kurt. This is a really interested with learning how to teach, with learning how to, uh, to, to communicate the word of God. And so we've been kind of coming together for sermon prep. And one of the things that I invited them into this week, and I want to remind us of, is that even though it's the Old Testament, so we're not in the Old Testament very much. We did some stuff back in Genesis in the fall with the story of Joseph. We did the story of Jonah back in the fall, but we have largely been walking through Colossians or Hebrews or John, you know, New Testament books in our time together on Sundays. And sometimes you have to ask the question, where do we see Jesus in the Old Testament? Where do we see Jesus in the Old Testament? And, and I want you to know that we don't have to like cherry pick Jesus and put him in the Old Testament. He's already there. That every word in the scriptures, in fact, point to Christ. There is a Jesus-centered understanding of the Old Testament. And I just want to give you a little framework as to how we know that. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, it talks about Timothy's upbringing. And Paul says, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings from childhood so that you might be wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. Those sacred writings were not the Gospels or the letters to the Philippians, they were the, it was the Old Testament writings. Paul in, in Acts 8, 17 says that he went in, in verse 2 and 3, he went in as was his custom. For three days he reasoned from the scriptures in the synagogues, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. He did that from the scriptures, which were the Old Testament scriptures. In Acts 18, Apollos says again, 
that he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. And then in Acts 26, um, Paul again saying, to this day, he's talking to the king, to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. So I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that Christ must suffer. And that by being the first to rise from the dead might proclaim life, light to both people, to both our people, the Jews, and to the Gentiles. So you see even the New Testament author, like most notable New Testament author, the Apostle Paul say that the Old Testament is capable of leading people to Jesus. So we see Jesus firmly in the Old Testament. We don't have to put him there. So the question we have to ask in verse 15 is where do we find him? Where do we find him? And I would ask you to look specifically at the phrase, the, the righteous, the, the two words, the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. This is not people that do good. Okay, that's not what David is talking about. He did, it, this should not be read. The eyes of the Lord are toward the people that do good. In fact, it would probably rather be read, the eyes of the Lord are towards the people that are made good. The Bible is clear that we are in fact not justified or not saved by our works or our good deeds. So we have to ask the question, how are people made righteous? How are people in the Old Testament made righteous? How are people in the New Testament made righteous? All the same way, by grace through faith. Then it was the result of taking God at his word in the Old Testament. You might remember a story in the Exodus where there was going to be an angel pass over the city and the Lord said in his word to them through Moses, you need to put on the doorpost blood of a lamb, right? Did it matter if they doubted that or not? Or did it matter if they did it? It mattered if they did it. They took him at his word. They took him at his word and he saved them. In the exact same way, the blood on the doorpost point to another blood, point to a better blood and that we get to see perfected in the work of Jesus. And so the author of Hebrews now tells us that we don't live in an old covenant, taking God at his old word, that we live in a new and better covenant that in fact renders the first one obsolete. God didn't just give us a system to save us. He gave us a savior to save us in Jesus. Romans 8 32 says that because he didn't spare his son, he didn't, he, he didn't withhold putting forth his son. We now have access to the father through the work of Jesus. So formally, to the readers of this psalm, formally the hope would have been in the one that is to come for us. How are we made righteous? For us, it's about putting our hope in the Christ that has come and will come again. We can worship in that, right? We can worship in that. We have been made good and right and in relationship with the Father because of the wrath-absorbing sacrificial work of Jesus in my place and in your place, right? That's really good news. So what kind of attention does that offer us from God? Notice in verse 15, he says, the eyes and what? The ears are toward the righteous. We get his full attention because of the finished work of Jesus. You and I get the full attention of the Father. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 5 says we can cast our cares on him because he cares for us. Matthew 11 says, come to me and learn from me and I will give you, I will notice you and give you rest. We can cry to him for help. And he helps us. Men, dads, don't we need help? We do. If we don't think we do, then we don't have to wait to the end of message to repent. We can just do that right now. We need help to be the men, the people that God's called us to be. There's a great assurance here in this text that he is attentive to us because he's already done the work 
to make us righteous. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you like a big kind of a philosophical understanding here of what's going on in the text. Because God has already done to, the work to make us righteous, we can be confident that he hears our cry. Now, the logic in this is from a principle called a fortiori. It's a Latin word that means from the stronger. A fortiori. It's where we get the word fortress. A fortiori. And what this means is that if someone has already done something, um, done one thing, then they will do a lesser thing at no problem. So for example, a guy named John Piper tells the story of it like this. He says, if Mr. Smith, if my neighbor, if I'm in need of a tool or some help, Will my neighbor, Mr. Smith, let me borrow a cheap tool? And Dr. Piper says that he's confident that he will because yesterday Mr. Smith lent him his car. So if he's willing to lend me his car, he's definitely going to lend me a pair of pliers, right? Does that make sense? And so we have this exact same kind of framework when it comes to this psalm, Psalm 34, verse 15. Because we know that God's put forth the work to make us righteous, of course he will hear our cry. That's so much lesser than the work that was needed to put Jesus on the cross for my sin and for yours. Because he's already saved us from the greatest destruction, we can be confident that he hears us and that he will help us. Ray Ortland says that the greatest glory of God, therefore, is not that he is separate and far off and beyond us. The greatest glory of God is that the one who is separate and far off and beyond us and high and lifted up, who created all things and needs nothing, that glorious God also chose to become our father, lovingly adopting us through our ch- to be his children through Jesus. Tim Keller helps us understand the wonderful love of God as father. He says the only person that would ever dare to wake up a king at three in the morning for a glass of water is a little child. And we have that exact same access to the father through Jesus. We can wake up the king with no fear of wrath or punishment because of the work of Jesus. So while there is great assurance in this truth, there is also the reminder of endurance. Just because we are made righteous doesn't mean that we will be absent from experiencing troubles or hardships, whether they're ours or someone else's. Then if we can be proficient in anything, and I'm not just talking to dads in the room, I'm talking to any man in the room. Man, if we can be proficient in anything, we at this church pray that it's a testimony that says we ran to and placed all our faith and hope and trust in the one that both sustains and saves. If we get to the end of our lives, man, and we live a, leave a legacy of wealth or provision that lacks the testimony that we actually know God as provider and redeemer and rescuer and deliverer and helper, then we've actually not left anything of value. That's what we long for. Verse 16, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. I am sweating like a champ up here. It is so hot. So just bear with me in that, you know, need like a towel from the back to towel off. Um, The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off their, I want to cut off the memory of my sweating up here from the earth, (laughs) to cut off their memory from the earth, to cut off their memory from the earth. Notice that we live in a day and age where it says, hate the sin, but love the sinner. Have Have you heard that before? Hate the sin. Oh, I got to hate the sin, but I love the sinner. The problem is that's not what Psalm 34, 16 says. We don't see the posture from God, do we? We see evildoers receive the exact opposite of his affectionate attention. He, in fact, turns his face away from them. And it is only through the redeeming mediation of Jesus that we actually get to experience God's affectionate attention. Now, when I read this verse, I try really hard to not think about other evildoers. I try to think about me. 
I try to think about me. The contrast in these verses is my testimony, and I hope that it's yours, that I was once someone that God should have turned his face away from. Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 3 says, we were once alienated. We once were people that walked in sin. And so as I read this, I am keenly aware of my evil doing, of my wickedness, that only would have me met with wrath from God turning his face. But because of Jesus, God can see me. And because of Jesus, God can see you. Check out this this next phrase, to cut off memory, verse 16, to cut off memory of them from the earth. You know, a better way to maybe say that we might understand is God wants to end the stories of some things and some people. When it comes to testimonies that last for eternity, there's a monopoly on those, as Kurt would say. There's a monopoly on the songs that will be sung for eternity. And they are ones that glorify God. The the heaven will not ring with stories of worldly accomplishment or innovation or philanthropy. They will only ring, heaven will only ring with stories of the glory of God. But it's not just about the good earthly stories that won't be told in heaven. There are also specific evil and wicked stories that the heart of God wants to end in our midst now. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1 says that he wants to redeem and reconcile the entire world to himself. So, so there's a, there are stories that are being told in our world and in our nation right now that the heart of God wants to end in silence and rid them from the earth. They are stories of evil and injustice. They are stories of slavery. They are stories of trafficking. They are stories of fatherlessness. They are stories of sin and destruction and brokenness and death and loss and grief. Those stories God wants to end. He wants to turn his face away from them. They don't linger or last. And that actually leads us to verse 17. Hey, thank you. I don't, the water, not so much, just the sweat rag, you know? Um, I'm plenty, producing plenty of water up here. Um, this leads us to verse 17. I want us to hear this. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their trouble. Now, I think we can make an individualistic mistake reading this text. Did God, does God respond to personally what troubles your heart and what makes you personally cry for help? Yes, of course, absolutely. He meets you there. He sees you. He loves you. And we can, be, we can know that because he has already done the, done the work to make you righteous by putting forth Jesus that he loves you. Romans 5, 8 says, we don't need God to send us a check in the mail to be known that we're loved, we need to see that he sent his son. Romans 5, 8. For God demonstrated his love for us in this, that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But I think there's another urging from this text. What troubles the heart of those that fear God? Okay. So again, from the stronger, if I'm already saved, if I'm already saved, then that ends a lot of my troubles, doesn't it? Like, I don't have to worry about destruction. I don't have to worry about hell. I don't have to worry about a separation from the Lord for my life. So, so by the nature of me understanding my salvation, me-centered prayers, I'm not saying they don't happen, but they probably don't happen as frequently, right? Because I'm not in self-sustaining mode anymore. I've got a Savior that sustains me. So what troubles the heart of those that fear God? Or in essence, what opposes their heart? In fact, if you were to look up the Hebrew for this word, word troubles, it's the word adversary. What is adversarial to the heart of the believer is the same stuff that's adversarial to the heart of God, namely sin and wickedness and evil. So what is adversarial to the Lord should also be adversarial to us. In fact, the name Satan in the Bible, ha-satan, thus Satan, literally means the adversary. So when we see the world... 
we see trouble in it, don't we? We see evil in it. We see what opposes the testimony of the Lord. And when we do, we should be like verse 17 people. We should cry out for help as those that have been saved and sustained for the trouble and the cause and the the plight that we see around us. We should. The question is, do we? Do we? Do you? Do we cry out for the pains and the evil that we see in our world or in our streets or even maybe closer to our homes than that? Here's an easy context for you. Yesterday was Juneteenth. I had some really good friends that I talked to this week that were lamenting, uh, but, but also excited that it was finally recognized as a holiday, but they were lamenting that it had taken so long. And they posed this question to me. They said, why are we so quickly to celebrate freedom from external oppression, July the 4th, where we were once part of another nation? No offense to my London friends here. Um, <laughs> But it's taken us 200 plus years to celebrate freedom from internal oppression, which is freedom from, or which was oppression from within our nation. And as they started to say and talk about it, like my heart started to lament with them and pray with them and even understand that in 1865 or 1862, when all the emancipation work was being done, there were faithful, enslaved black men and women that had been praying for this. They've been praying for this. And when that emancipation happened, they said, the Lord, just Psalm 34, 17, he hears our cries. I don't want to bemoan that. I want to celebrate that with my friends because he does the same thing today. He still hears and delivers our troubles. He still hears and delivers us from our troubles and from our cries, whether that was King David's in Psalm 34 or from a black father oppressed in an evil slavery in the 1800s, he still hears and delivers. Juneteenth is just one right in our awareness that we can use an example of people that might have cried out or may cry out. So let's ask this question. What breaks our hearts? Are there global crises, global crises that break our hearts? From health crises, like we're specifically um, close to the crisis of COVID in India. That one's hit extremely close to home. To poverty, both here and abroad, to evil and manipulative and tyrannical power. What about in our own yard here in America on Father's Day? What breaks our hearts when we consider Father's Day here in the United States? Is it the fact that one in four kids are raised without a dad? There's over 20 million kids, 18 or younger, 18 or younger that are no longer, that don't have any relationship with their dad at all. Over 40% of kids born in the United States today are born to parents that aren't married. Did you know that? Two out of five, close to half actually. There's significant increases in health-related distress, suicide, crime, relational distress, and economic distress in families where a father's not present. We know the influence a godly father has. He leads children and future generations towards the things of Jesus. In fact, if you're a single female in the room today, I just want to say something to you. If you marry a man that doesn't pursue Jesus, you are greatly impacting the spiritual lives of your future kids and grandkids. I don't care how cute they are, how much money they make. Greatly impacting it. So hold out for a godly man. That's another sign of brokenness that we have in the world. There are more. We see dads that want kids but can't have them. In fact, there are some testimonies of the opposite of that in this room today. That last Father's Day and last Mother's Day, there was, there was great lament over the desire to have kids. And it seemed to have not found him yet. But we now see those things coming true. We see dads and moms that have experienced loss in their families. Loss of a child 
or loss of a parent. These things, whether it's fatherlessness or loss or, or lack, break our hearts. So men, not just dads, but all men in the room, yet to be dads. I want to talk to you today, to us. I'm one of those two. If we are called to be spiritual leaders, both in our churches and in our homes, if we are made righteous through faith in Jesus, then can we realize that the things that break our hearts actually break the heart of God in you as well? So let me ask you the question, man, what troubles do you see in the world today? Uniquely you, what troubles do you see? What stories, we talked about God cutting off the memory, ending the stories, ending the sagas. What stories do you long to be silenced in your life, in the lives of your kids and grandkids, and ultimately in the lives of the world? Do you long for fatherlessness or abuse or neglect or injustice to be silenced? Do you long for the epidemic and addiction of pornography to be silenced? Do you long for the objectification of women to be silenced? Do you long for lostness to be silenced in your family or friends or those around you? Do you long for racism to be silenced? Do you long for your own pride and selfishness and addiction to be silenced? I had a good friend once that used the story of Jesus saying, if you have faith so small as a mustard seed, you can look at a mountain and have it move. And we we're both pastors and he was talking to me and he was like, Andrew, he was like, what mountains have been in our lives and our ministries, whether that's pride or greed or selfishness or lust or whatever, what mountains have we looked the other way and said, God can't make that one move? Would we not look at those and say, God, give us a faith that that mountain of lust can move? Travis Rose stood up here on this stage not too long ago and talked about what it meant to honor the Lord and to seek the Lord. And brother, I am grateful that you have a story that you looked at the mountain of lust and asked God to move it and he moved it. Grateful for that. That's a great testimony for all of us in this room. And so dads, what troubles, men, what troubles do you see? Would you pray impossible prayers? Would you seek the Lord? Would you ask him to hear your cry? Not just from your own personal plight, but for that of our entire community and our entire world. I mentioned earlier that last year, Father's Day and Mother's Day, Father's Day was our first Sunday back gathering. Mother's Day, we didn't gather in 2020 as a, like this. And I remember getting messages from people that are actually like, I'm kind of grateful we didn't because it was hard. It was hard this year. It was hard this year to get together because the Lord hasn't provided at that request for me or my family. And I've seen couple after couple after couple pray impossible prayers. God, would you provide? Would you provide? Would you provide? And some of those parents, some of those couples are expecting kids today. Some of them are celebrating their first Father's Day or Mother's Day with a child. And there are some people in the room that are praying those impossible prayers now because this Father's Day is hard and this Mother's Day was hard. And we want you to know, we want you to know that it is the should be said of us as men, as dads, that we run to the Lord to say, help us because we can't help ourselves. In fact, in my family group, a young lady named Casey shared not too long ago that the impossible prayer for her was at the top of her journal was that the Lord would bring salvation to your home, to her dad. And praise the Lord, we got to sit in family group one day and she said, I'm going to have to come up with a new impossible prayer because God has saved my father. This is good stuff. So what troubles in our world, men, make you hit your knees and put your face to the ground? And I don't expect them all to be the same. Are you doing that? Are you crying out for help? Are we, as a community of Christ followers, calling out for help? 1 Corinthians 16, 13 is probably one of my favorite like manhood verses. Be watchful, 
Stand firm in the faith. Act like men (laughs) and be strong. Easy, Paul, right? Easy. Act like men. What does that mean? Guys, I don't think that we act like men anymore, ever anymore, than we are humbly submitted and posture before the Lord and say, help us. I think that's the way that we act like men the most. So guys, men in the room, this is open for you ladies too, but it's Father's Day. Men in the room, whether you're a dad or yet to be, I have a challenge for you today. Do those around you see you living that verse out, paying attention, being rooted in the faith, being strong? Do they see you recognizing that the strongest you can be is on your knees saying help? You can stand and be stoic somewhere later. All right, I'm just going to call you out. You can stand and be stoic somewhere later. You can do that at your home. That one's not, I got nothing on that one. But today, I'm going to ask you to do something different than stand and be stoic if you're a guy in the room. If you're a guy in the room today and you love and follow Jesus, I'm going to ask that as we conclude today, as Kurt leads us in song, as we come to the table for communion, whether it's by yourself, if you're maybe single, or you've got some friends with you, um, you could pray with someone else. If you have your family with you today, I'm going to ask you to do this with your family. I'm going to ask you as a man, maybe not to request that everybody in your family gets on, the, on their knees, but at least you, at least you, it's at your chair or up here at the front or find some space to get on your knees with your family and not just pray for them, but pray with them. Pray with them of the troubles that we see. Men, you're going to be influencers, husbands, parents in troubling times. I'm not saying this like some weird post, you know, post, wow, hold on, wasn't ready for this. Um, Zombie apocalypse, post, I can't say it. Why can't I say it? Somebody help me. Post-apocalyptic, thank you. I need some talk back. I'm not saying this to be (laughs) post-apocalyptic here or prophetic. I'm saying that we are assured until Jesus comes back that there are going to be moments of evil, of of hurt, of wickedness that exists in, in our world. And the goal is not for us to be overcome by it. We trust that we don't, aren't overcome by evil, that we actually trust in the one who overcomes evil. Like, we know that. And so I'm not asking you to lead causes that rail against them. I'm asking you as your first step as men and influencers and husbands and parents in the troubling times you're going to face, whether they are centered on your family or our world as a whole, I'm asking you to be seen as humble men that hit your knees and cry out to God for help. In the present discussion that goes on in church life about male leadership, I promise you that no woman will ever be offended if you are leading her from a posture that humbles himself, that serves, that loves, and that leaves a legacy that our only help is the Lord. And so here's the beauty of the body of Jesus, folks. I don't know how many guys are in the room, but however many of us there are, there could be uniquely that many troubles that we see. Some people are going to see the trouble of fatherlessness with pinpoint accuracy. Some people are going to see the trouble um, and the epidemic of pornography over our culture. Some people are going to see um, the trouble and the, and the, the plight 
of racism or racial inequality. Some people are going to see the trouble uh, of, of a lack of commitment. Some people are going to see financial, um, you know, like upheaval and a lack of stewardship. People are going to see different troubles. That's the beauty of the body of Christ is that when men all hit their knees and their face before the Lord, we cover them all. We cover them all. And we get to collectively ask him to save us from all of them. And so I'm asking you today, this is open to guys or girls, but specifically guys, whether it's in this altar, makeshift altar, in your seat, in the lobby, I'm asking you today, what can you hit your knees with that troubles you? And as we move into a time of, of response, like the first meditation is just to be silent before the Lord. Lord, what troubles me today? What troubles do I see? Could it be specific to your family? Sure. Could it be specific to your personal life and your personal pursuit of holiness? Absolutely. Could it be troubles in Lexington or in your neighborhood or in our state or in our nation or in our world? Yes, yes, and yes, it could be all those. I'm asking you to recognize the trouble you see and to seek Jesus for help. Seek him for help for the trouble of lostness that you see in your friends and your families and those around you, and those other places apart from the world. I got to hear a young man cry out, cry out for God to save Kazakhstan this morning. Save him. He doesn't know them all by name, but it's a trouble that he sees, that there are people in another part of the world that if they die, they're going to spend an eternity separated from the Father. Cry out for the families that you know that have hardships. Cry out for the hardship your family or the suffering your family is walking through. Cry out. If you're aware of trouble in the world or in your life, I'm asking you to ask him to help you, to ask him for deliverance and to ask him from, for relief. Ask him to help end the story that robs him of glory in the world. Fatherlessness is a story that robs Jesus of glory. Addiction is a story that robs Jesus of glory. Racism is a story that robs Jesus of glory. Poverties. Poverty, injustices, oppressions can be stories that rob Jesus of glory. So see the trouble, see what robs him and ask him for help. And so to everyone today, the invitation is cast your cares on him because he cares for you. But to men specifically today, don't wait until another Father's Day. Don't wait until another moment. Let your kids, let those that watch you, let your friends see you today. Get on your knees and on your face and to ask Jesus, the only one that can help us to help. Not because he's not done enough for us, but because he's already saved us and sustained us. May we run to him and say, help us, Jesus. We need it. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that this text is true for us today, that you turn your eyes and your ears, your full attention to us because of the work of Jesus. That you once turned your face away from us because of, of our separation from you, but through the redemptive work of your son, you turn to us and you hear us. God, that you desire to cut off the memory of wickedness in the earth. And Lord, that affliction, that trouble, you put it on the forefront of our heart. We desire that too. We desire for lesser glories to be silenced. We desire for lesser testimonies to be silenced. We desire for wickedness and for evil and for the plight of our people and for lostness and for separation to all be silenced. 
And so, Lord, today, may you move in our hearts that we be a people that hit our knees and hit our face and say, Lord, not because you haven't helped us, but because you have, will you help us some more? Will you do it again? Will you do it again? Will you do it again for others? Will you do it again for us? Jesus, we ask you that this day. It's in your name we pray. Amen.